Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, well, it is time once again to review the news with Cody Townsend. We've got a lot on tap for you here today, and so let's just go ahead and dive right in. Here we go. All right, well, Cody, it is Sunday, the 3rd of July, and we we have figured out your recording situation that has taken some time, but I think we're ready to dive into, um, man, there's so many potential things we could talk about. We've had to like boil some things down because this could be a six hour conversation for sure. Anyway, let's just get started. And I should probably be polite and ask, are you doing okay? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm actually in Santa Cruz at my parents' house um, and spent the last two weeks here. Um, it's one of the things you realize once you have a kid, the the importance of family nearby. And uh, we have a little kind of studio in the back of my parents' house. We're right near the ocean. We're getting to surf. We've got built-in childcare right there because finding like real childcare than what you have to pay for uh, is really, really, really difficult these days. You know, it's it makes headlines and then you go to do it yourself and you're like, yeah, okay, so spring of 2023, we might have an opening. You're like, oh God. So, um, so yeah, so it's been awesome to be down here. But that's, uh, that's why my recording setup might be a little subpar because I thought I'd be home by now um, and thought I'd be back to my recording setup, which I did not bring down. So hopefully I sound all good. You, you sound great, man. We take this seriously because honestly, it drives me crazy. There's be like big news services that record podcasts and they're just like going into their computer. And I'm like, you guys are like Bloomberg. Why do you not have a microphone? So I, I take these things seriously. We appreciate that about you. Also, I would not let you not do that. So um, it works out. We got a yeah, good thing. We got a good thing. <laughs> totally. All right. On our list here, the first thing we have, it says in our doc, Cody's secret topic. Yeah. So yeah, I had something that I couldn't necessarily run by you because I wanted to get your honest reaction. Okay. Just like that. Straight. Oh boy. Just straight from the heart. Um, so... <laughs> I often make fun of you for, you know, only having a hundred listeners in right, this podcast, right. which I know isn't true. You've already, you have 300 reviews, so there's <laughs> at least 300 <laughs> listeners. Wow. But I read an article recently that what, how you could drastically improve this podcast. Wow. So, um, what you need to do is just not talk. Um, white noise. Just absolute white noise because according to an article in the Seattle Times, Spotify podcasters are making $18,000 a month with nothing but white noise. So, there's a phenomenon, I guess, of going to sleep podcast ah. or just white noise podcast and people are like raking it in with the ad dollars from Spotify for literally doing nothing. So... I would say we're losing out to white noise, mud, bud. Like, do you want to make some money or do you want to do some, like, just keep talking and listen to yourself talk? <laughs> well, yeah, on the whole, you know, work smarter, not harder. I don't think I've actually ever been good at that. I think I always just, like, go for the harder, not smarter. And this is just yet another example of that. Yeah. 
It's, it's kind of side. I I mean, I'm on this podcast too, so you know, I was trying to shovel off any blame onto you. But uh, yeah, the fact that we're probably both getting beat by just white noise is a little depressing. That's, yeah. that's good. Yeah, <laughs> great way to start. Great way to start this. Uh, start this episode. Just yeah, we're worse than white noise, especially when we have a whole lot to say today. Yeah. <laughs> totally. We do have a lot to say. Now, this is going to be an in-depth one. And I think uh, what we're going to start off with is an article that is now making absolute waves, mainly in like my world, the athlete influencer world. I, God, everyone hates that term. But I mean, you, you choose to use it how you want and label it how you want. But otherwise, in the athlete influencer term, this article that really see, recently came out in the Mountain Gazette is definitely causing, causing some waves. So uh, the title of it is uh, Who is Holding Outdoor Influencers Accountable? Um, inside the drama pack society of anonymous snarkers, sleuths, and undercover Instagrammers breaking the hashtag van life aesthetic. And it was written by uh, Ari Schneider, um, who's actually a very accomplished journalist. Um, he's written for the New York Times, Business Insider, Washington Post, Slate, Seattle Times. He's a, he's a legit real journalist. And uh, he wrote this article for the Mountain Gazette. Yep. Yeah. And you brought this to my attention. I I think it was late Friday night and you're like, oh man, this is going to create a lot of waves. And so you were right. And so I knew we were going to be talking about this. And so I somewhat sadly spent more time yesterday than I would have wanted to kind of trying to gauge reactions and seeing what was going on here. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, if we're thinking about sort of the whole kind of outdoor community, there was a lot going on here that I just thought was not great. A lot of the reactions and the rest. And so, you know, I was like, look, I think we just need to kind of address this. And so I propose that we kind of break down a number of different things going on here. And I think that's what we're going to do. So, and hopefully at the end, I have a, well, hope that Whoever is in this outdoor community that frankly, we just all do a better job. We all kind of play a role, different roles in this whole thing. And so let's see how this goes. So I think the very first most fundamental question was, was it right or wrong of the Mountain Gazette to publish a story that just raises the question of influencers and accountability. Let's just start there, right? Is that a fair topic? 100% fair topic. And like to sum it up for the listeners. So one of the the issues of why this is blown up is I think very few people have actually read this article. So it is um, only on Mountain Gazette in the magazine, the print magazine itself. Uh, Mountain Gazette does not publish articles online. So very few people have actually read the article, um, but are having a lot of reaction to it because of one specific piece to it. So to kind of sum it up in the main topics, it centers around an influencer, Brianna Madia, who uh, is in a van, goes to the desert often, and has a very kind of hashtag van life aesthetic. Um, 
And it uh, raises a bunch of issues with the potentially some truths, some lies, some fundraising um, for potentially not illicit reasons, but reasons were good, but the whole story wasn't there for people that were fundraising for. Um, and then it goes into what ends up being the biggest topic that everyone's talking about was influencers taking PPP funds during the height of the pandemic. So um goes into that and then brings back this other thing, which is talking about a Reddit forum called Mattias Snark um, and people that are kind of go there to bitch, complain, whine, fairly criticize and or just bring up issues with uh, a number of outdoor influencers. It started specifically with Brianna Mattia, but then has kind of gone wider to a number of outdoor influencers. And it kind of marries all these things. Uh, people, the, both the influencers and the people criticizing them, the the potential toxicity of every aspect of all sides and then coming to some sort of conclusion. So um, I thought it was a very fair article in many ways. Um, Ari is a journalist. All of what he said has to be fact-checked. You put your name to a story like that, your reputation is on the line, your future employment is on the line. If you make your money as a journalist and you go out right and tell a bunch of lies and slander, you're probably not getting hired again. So I can say with just the, the source of, of, a, of a journalist uh, being edited by someone who studied journalism and Mike Rogge, who runs the Mountain Gazette, the things are true. Bringing up the questions, I think, is fair because I've personally thought quite often in my own personal career, which exists in this space, exists in online media, like, man, it is could be really easy for me to get away and craft a narrative about myself that no one can question. And I think people's bullshit meters can be attuned to that. Um, and I think that's why there is quite often criticism about influencers. But then on the flip side, there's a lot of people that just love everything they do. Um, and who knows if they're truly crafting um, a truthful narrative about themselves. Um, so having a third party out there to validate that I think is actually quite important because when we lose media sources like Powder Magazine, um, many of the outdoor uh, titles that just kind of went under or going strictly online, we, we kind of stop questioning necessarily what everything's out there or practicing good journalism. So I thought it was I thought it was really good. I've actually thought about this article for a long time myself just because knowing and existing in this space like I could kind of get away with a lot. Um, I choose not to. I choose to be authentic. I choose to draw lines and I try not to, but there's even probably parts of it that I don't even know about myself that I am crafting a little bit of an image outside of who I truly am because you are existing in these spaces. So um uh, uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was correct. What, what do you think? What was your take? First of all, when I saw it coming, you know, and I mean, look, I, I own a media company too, and we have pretty high standards for, you know, while most of the writing we do is more about like gear, but getting those details right and being accurate. And then a, you know, fairly long academic background where like you got your head taken off if you were wrong about certain things. So when I started seeing some of the uproar about this and frankly, starting to see some people doing this like shame on you Mountain Gazette, what a terribly written story. So I kind of came in like, okay, well, first, let's see if I agree with that. 
Like, was is this poorly written? Answer, I don't think so at all. And I, I am on the side of, um, no, I, I'm not saying shame on you, Mountain Gazette, for publishing this. So I think that really is kind of like the first thing. You know, well, I guess I'm conflating two things. One, is it okay for an outdoor publication to raise this question, right, of influencers and accountability? We're both saying, yes, that is a very fair thing. Second question, how was this handled? Was this well executed by Ari? And I would say yes. So I don't agree with the people that are like, shame on you, Mountain Gazette, or shame on you, Ari, for this piece. So people need to read this for themselves. And also, let's start to get into a little bit of the ethics of this that surround this. In general, if you have not actually taken the time to read something, please don't weigh in. Right? I mean, man, this is seems so simple. But... Otherwise, what are we doing here? And we're just flinging poo, right? In ways that um, there are some important topics here and issues of trust and the rest. And if you haven't taken the time to weigh in, how about stay on the sidelines till you do? Totally. And that's bringing kind of the third question. I think we have established that I think the the journalist did a good, fair job. Like he, he to me, reading it, a lot of it was based on interviews, what seems like with Brianna. He, God, he was going to some pretty deep sources for this. Like he definitely showed some chops when investigative reporting um, and really kind of dove into the subject, I think, in a good, fair way. Again, like I'm raised by a journalist. I see what they do. And I can, uh, I would like to say I have pretty high journalism comprehension skills because I was grew up like going to a newsroom when I was a kid and learning about it. And I thought he did a very fair job. I will say, and this is the one thing that is now um, getting into our next topic, which is all the responses online to this, um, that there the section about the PPP funding, which was athletes and influencers, and they specifically name and put the dollar amount to PPP funds that influencers uh, received during it. That maybe didn't need to go in there because a lot of it was about truth. Um, a lot of it about well, truth versus lies that influencers are are putting out there, um, and the PPP funds. That's just kind of your personal finances. Like, do you need to disclose it? Um, they are public information. Like, you can look up who in your area received PPP. There was a number of, of measures to try and, you know, have some public accountability to this. When you applied for it, there was public accountability. It didn't necessarily need to go in there. Um, but I didn't think it was unfair that it did since it is very easily accessible public information. And so that is what's created, I think, the most hoopla online, um, probably because it's the thing that's most easily accessible online because people can dig this up for themselves. And I had seen some of this stuff uh, start to bubble up in like the another region of the internet like months ago. And I was wondering if this was ever going to be a thing. And people were criticizing people like Brody Levin, Caroline Gleick, Meg Haywin Sullivan, and Rachel Pohl for taking it. But it never really got out of the the, the depths too much. And I think this article definitely brought it far more to light and got people very angry, which on that topic, 
I don't fucking care that they took any PPP funds. I don't care that anyone did. Like, personally, what I know as an athlete and on this side of it, people don't understand the job that goes into it. They, they, we sell them a dream. We're putting out photos of all the things we do and people follow because they put themselves in those journeys, like following your journeys and dream of a doing one day. They are small businesses as it is. You are your own little business. I know for myself, like when it came to the pandemic, when it was in the middle of April in 2020, everything was shut down. No one was getting any revenue. Everyone was scared shitless of what was going to happen. And there was potentially absolutely catastrophic effects that were going to fall upon the country. So the PPP was a necessary lifeline for a lot of businesses. I know personally, I didn't get paid for eight months from my sponsors. I was dipping deep into my savings. Like I remember when it was coming into 2021, telling my sponsors, like, dude, like I'm running out of money. And they're like, we can't pay it to 2021. All our accounts are frozen. All our budgets are frozen, even though we have contractual agreements with them. They're just like, yeah, we can't. Like literally, we're not allowed to send you money. Our bosses and the management has shut it down. So if you're an influencer and you don't have a ton of money in the bank, like, yeah, take that cash, pivot. Like you, this is your job. This is how you've created your like livelihood. And obviously someone sees it a value because you've created an audience and businesses think that you're valuable enough to sell their products to, to that audience. So to me, I have like no issue with people taking the funds. And I get, I don't get why people are so angry about that. Maybe it is because of a lack of comprehension of the job. Um, but man, like that to begin with is just like kind of the central thing. Like it says more about the audience pointing fingers to me than it does about the athletes, influencers taking that money. Well, okay. Couple of things here. One, getting back to the issue that this was raised in the article. The one thing that the author does say is that he did reach out to the people that he named. And I believe I have this correct. He says he received no response. I find that interesting. I, on the one hand, I think there could have been a response first, but secondly, I don't think that any of these people named were responsible to hand over some line itemed you know, like use of PPP funds, they were approved. Many businesses were approved for those funds, right? And so I understand people who are like, well, I just, I think the country gave out too much money in PPP funds. That's fine. But I still don't think that just because a journalist writes you that these people needed to spell out, like, here's all our financial records of exactly how this money was spent. But I do find it odd that, like, apparently no response was given. Yeah, and that was what I had actually talked with Rogi after this popped up. Um, and a little bit we were discussing that because that to me was made it almost seem fishier the fact that they wouldn't respond. Because if I would have taken that, I would have owned it. Been like, yeah, I took it. Like, I think it paid for eight months and I wasn't allowed to travel. I like personally, just talking about my experience, I don't know what those people that applied for PPP, what they spent it on. But I do know 
You have to get, in order to get that loan forgiven, you have to show detailed accounting of exactly what you spent that money for. And if you did not spend that money in the ways that were originally improved and the way you intended and written for that loan, they would not forgive that loan and you'd have to pay it all back with 1% interest. So to me, you're like, well, the government cleared it. Sure, if you could say like, oh, there's so many, the government's not paying attention. That's the government's fault then. That's the the system that they set up. That's that fault. So ultimately, if they got these loans forgiven, then they spend it for the right and correct things. So if I'm sitting here and in my experience and I'm like, I didn't get paid for eight months, so I applied for these and be like, yeah, like I had to pay out Bjarne, or I didn't have to, but I paid out Bjarne his full contract, even though we didn't work for three months straight. We did one last trip at the end of the season, but I'm like, it's only fair. Like, this is his source of income. I'm going to pay him out. I had other contractors I had to pay out. I had a whole season of episodes still to come out. I was paying out of my own pocket. Like, I should have done it. And I've had people that say that, like, you should have done it. But like, after this, the way that people are reacting to it, you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm almost good. I didn't. But the response of not talking, yeah, that. I, I think it added fuel to the fire. And I, I feel like if they just owned it and been like, yeah, we run small businesses. Like in this article, uh, BuzzFeed News reporter Stephanie McNeil, she's, this is a quote, the underlying issue is a lot of people refuse to accept that influencers are running small businesses and have no understanding or respect for the work they do. So when they see influencers getting money, they think it's supposed to go to traditional business owners. They assume this, the influencers stole it from actual hardworking people. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of people inter interpret this as. Um, you can question their ethics. You can be from the outside. You can critique. We, as public figures, should be open to critique. Some of the responses that we saw were it seemingly backlash at Mike personally, at the magazine, at the journalist. Those were completely unfair because, like, ultimately, like, they deserve this as much as anyone. And the fact is, like, they didn't steal this money. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean... It's taken a lot of hoopla. And I guess going to your third point of the meme accounts taking it, well, it wasn't a ton of meme accounts. Um, it was a couple in particular that all of a sudden start ripping them. Um, one in particular and then even dragged me into this because I, I all of a sudden, I woke up to a bunch of uh, not messages, but comments of like, give back that PPP funds. Like you're fraud, fraudulent, all this stuff. And I'm like, what? Did you read the article? I'm not in this article at all. And then I realized someone had taken a screenshot of Arcade Belts's PPP funds and then said something to the sort of how that was funding me and my projects personally. So, which is, you know, I had to get in front of that um, because it's an, that is not correct in the slightest bit. Um, those are three different companies. I run I run three companies. I have three jobs. I run myself as a personal athlete. I run a production company as Summit Lunch Productions and then Arcade. And Arcade is actually the one I have the least hands-on work with um, because I'm just a fractional owner of the of the company with a, uh, two other major owners. And uh, I sit there on the bigger side of things. But I do know like during that time, PPP was a lifeline for businesses like Arcade. We had about 13 employees at that time. When 2020 in, our, in April, we had pretty much zero revenue. We had some online sales, not enough to even pay our rent for a month. Um, and like, you're looking ahead going like, we got a couple months of runway and cash here. And then 
like we go under and 13 jobs, they're lost forever. So PPP was a lifeline and it really, it saved the company for us. And I'm really thankful that the government did that because we were able to keep 13 jobs and I think now 14 or 15, I'm not entirely sure. Um, That's how disconnected I can be sometimes from Arcade. Um, But all of a sudden when people online start conflating and misunderstanding and not being journalists and throwing stones just because like, yes, I'm an owner of Arcade and think I'm like funding myself from it. That's when it gets so ugly so quick. Um, I uh, It was my first time being on the, the pointy ends of a pitchfork mob and I'm going to tell you, it's not fun. Um, I spent all day on the phone yesterday just trying to get in front of it, trying to tell people, educate people what PPP is because a lot of people don't understand it, trying to say how it saved our job. There are three different companies. I couldn't funnel money to myself even if I tried. Like there's no, we have a board. All financial decisions go through it with a board. And day-to-day decisions go through a CEO. That's not me. So it's like, it just got ugly really quickly. Um, so I was, I was really disappointed to see that, um, mainly because the whole thing I learned from this process and being on that sharp end is that people real quick to throw a brick through your window with, and not check the address before they throw it through. Um, and then expect you to like engage with them after they threw a brick through your window. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is one of the, I think one of there's, there's many sort of takeaways and things for us to think about, which is why we're spending a lot of time on this story. But one of the just really depressing things that I see in this, and I want this to change. And I think this can change, but as we have, like we live in a world of, social media and digital online interactions and the rest, if we do not quite quickly develop a new personal ethic, every one of us, about how we handle responses, like we're just, first of all, we're going to have a dumber and dumber and crueler culture And this does not need to be this way. So we said, number one, if you are inclined to come guns blazing, right? Whether you're a stupid meme account or whether you're frankly a stupid person, have you read the story? Are you clear on the facts? And if the answer is, actually, I'm not really, ask a question, right? Ask a question. Start there. And so rather than throwing completely unfounded accusations out there, as if you have, you know the answer. Like, frankly, if that meme account had been like, hey, Cody, did this PPP go to funding the 50 project? Question mark. Again, on the one hand, none of their business, you know, but two, like rather than sort of lead with this accusation, That's a start point. And I think that automatically brings us to like, ask the question, don't lead with the assumption. And the way I think about this, this is a little bit sort of like, if I walked up to you on a Friday night, punched you in the face and then said, well, I heard some guy said, you know, you were hitting on my girlfriend. 
And you're like, wait, what, dude? First of all, no, I wouldn't do that. Secondly, I wasn't even at that location. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, hey, man, thanks for the dialogue. It's like, wait, you just punched me in the face, right? And this is kind of internet culture at its worst to me. And there's no reason for it. So if, if you are really concerned about something, just you can politely ask a question. And man, we are, this sounds so basic in like second grade level, but clearly we need to say this out loud because this isn't how we're operating, right? Totally. No, it's, uh, I mean, I live by a rule online and sometimes you break that rule because you get caught in the moment and you get caught in the culture of online. But it's like, before you type it in, sit there and think, would I say this to this person's face? How would I frame this to someone's face? And I actually do that a lot in how I create my captions, my content, everything. Would I sit there in a room with my buddies and tell them something like this? You know, And generally, that helps direct how you would talk online, just like you from derived from the, the in the in person. Like, you know, you pointed this out to me. Um, and I get this a lot, so I, it doesn't bother me too much. But someone started off in one of my comments, wow, congratulations on committing fraud to get a PPP loan that could have gone to an actual business in need, not some privileged skier. Gross. And then, and uh, you know, I responded back probably harsher than I should have, but because it was just getting attacked left and right. Um, plus, if you do get attacked, you're probably going to throw up your, your your fists a little bit and be like, dude, what the hell? Um, but then I talked through it with this guy and then he's like, oh, thank you for enlightening me. It's just interesting that we are tend to just go straight for the jugular instead of being like you could have actually said like you gave that example of just being like, did you use this for funding your 50 project like this uh, this accusation is brought against you and i've been like no it's a totally separate business i can explain it i'm not going to open up our financials to a company but like just like if you know the basics of ppp and how it works and how we couldn't have gotten that loan forgiven then you know that like i'm not funneling money to myself off this it's a business with multiple owners so it just yeah your little mini rant, I think it's just like the, the culture online is so toxic. People are so quick to want to attack and we can all be a part of the problem. And that's why even for myself, I'm really trying to check myself. Um, I had a conversation with Sander Hadley this morning because um, he put up a tweet about this article and shared a couple of screenshots of it. And I think that's what really kicked it off. And he like, felt really bad for it. And I was like, no, no, you didn't. You didn't start this in a bad way like he had listened to us last week and i was saying twitter the culture of it's been very much gotcha and try and be very much like pull one over and be kind of snarky and whatnot i was like no you were just sharing it my my reaction to the article was the same it was like kind of a bit of a wow this is kind of crazy um but what happens from that is then the people just start going straight for the jugular and you just start getting the mob tactics coming after you and it's just like just gets so ugly so quick and people would rather you know they don't want to verify the truth first they want to make sure that they've like punched you in the face and then they'll try and maybe listen to the truth but usually not they usually try and justify their punching you in the face the whole time so um it's been it's been ugly um and you know i I, like I said, I got dragged into it. We're talking talking about me, which just obviously from personal experience, but a lot of other people are getting it way worse. Um, there's been some different reactions from all these people. Um, it's been interesting to see. Um, I just kind of wish it was just like all all of the people that were listed in this article, like 
owned it when it came to this PPP thing. It's like, yeah, we run small businesses. I needed to get, I needed a little bit of money um, to to get through this. And I've been talking with some other people, and I'm like, God, this doesn't this feel like too like like I think it listed Caroline like took seven thousand dollars out. And you're like, we're it's like we're the freaking proletariat arguing over who got a second boiled potato while the bourgeoisie is just like swimming in champagne and walking away with million dollar checks and like why are we squabbling over the second boiled potato right now like you know again it points back to this kind of this thing i think it's saying more about individuals and the audiences than it is necessarily about the system um that it's saying about the the people that took these funds it's just like Ah, it's ugly. Yeah, okay. So I want to just say one more thing because I want everybody to be crystal clear on this point. So again, what I'm hoping we can all come into an agreement of is we are no longer going to start conversations with a sentence like, wow, congratulations on committing fraud to get a PPP loan. And then... When someone after multiple back and forths, you don't get to then say, thanks for having a dialogue. That is an idiotic and it, it, it makes you a jerk. Frankly, it makes you stupid and it makes you a jerk. And we're just going to agree to we're not going to come into conversations this way. This isn't how we're going to start them. OK, can we all agree on this? Now, there's one more thing I want to kind of say to this. I'm also kind of seeing like, yeah, there's meme accounts and yeah, those can be hilarious and we like them. And there's this culture of kind of point scoring on social media. But I do think that people who are either running meme accounts or frankly, broader media outlets that are kind of trying to dabble in that like meme, meme culture, point scoring culture. I'd invite all of you to really think through this too. Like, what are you ultimately really just trying to do? And if you're like, you know what, dude, I actually don't really care about the truth or having or operating on any kind of ethic. I am just here to kind of score points and be noticed. Like, then get clear about that in your own head. But I'm seeing a bit of like some accounts, it's like, They're calling for compassion on the one hand, and then the next day participating in kind of the takedown culture. And for those that just are willing to think a little deeper about what are we really trying to do here, just own it if you're like, we're just here to take people down and score points and be noticed. That's at least more coherent. I'm not for it, but at least you're being honest with yourselves about what you're up to. But the back and forth, some days I'm calling for compassion. The other days I'm participating in the takedown. It's bad thinking and it's hypocritical. Yeah, no, have an ethic, have a goal. Like it is like, you know, the epic lift lines. They have one singular goal and you know it from the get go. Their thing is to criticize, fail, 
and show issues with Veil. That's what they do. And, um, you know, I do think there are, you know, it's really easy to make memes. I've made memes. There's apps for it. It's really, really easy. There's a lot of D-tier meme memers out there making dumb memes that are not even creative, that are all over the place. There are meme accounts that I love because they do almost seem like they have an ethic. They have, like, something that they are trying to do. And it isn't just takedown. It is like, no, we are doing this with it. Um, the best, I think, are the ones that are making fun of ourselves. Um, it's something I've tried to impart in my own ski career from the beginning. It's like, hey, dude, like, make fun of the ridiculousness of yourself and what you do, um, because that's relatable. And it also just shows that we're like humble in this. And, you know, it's fun to make fun of backcountry skiing when you're a backcountry skier and poke fun of what we do. So those are the ones I tend to like the most. And, and they show. Um, I think there's ones that are out there that really truly like have kind of an ethic and they stick to that and i think there's ones that are just like all over the place and i think there's ones that are just strictly to like absolutely hate on people and those are the ones like the people behind it like i really hope the best for them because i truly think like they potentially have some deep-seated issues that they haven't resolved um and they've got their own whatever it is demons or things they want to work out or personal grievances or just something and you're like man like i just kind of in those instances i tend to wish for happiness for people like I, i'm like man i just wish you could be nicer so because that means you're probably happier and more content in your own life um and i'm, I'm sorry if you feel wrong but like hating on a bunch of other people, it's really not going to work out that well for, for anyone. So it's not what mountain towns are about. It's not what why we choose to live in them. Um, you hear it over and over and over how often people love mountain towns because of the community, the positivity, the, the outdoor spirit, and it just kind of brings some sort of happiness um, in a town. You can feel it the moment when you're in a cool mountain town. So like when you get in these online like these accounts that are just there to tear down the community in like the most negative way. You're like, man, I hope you find that mountain community for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Where to next? Yeah, I know. That's uh, we knew that was going to take a long part of the conversation, but man, it has been, uh, yeah, it's been on my mind a lot. So let's get to the next thing. Um, the, we actually had a lot and we did have to, to narrow this down, but um, there's an article um, uh, or a column in Outside Online um, written by Mark Peruzzi. If you've ever read Mark Peruzzi, you know that he's going to bring up some issues and you're going to probably walk away either vehemently disagreeing with him or being like, wow, that's an interesting topic. Like he is in a certain way is like a pot stir. Um, and I tend to like his articles, even though I don't necessarily agree with them all, um, just because they do bring up interesting thoughts. They're quite often contrarian. Um, this one was called Stop the Progression Already. Uh, we can't normalize bigger, faster, farther anymore. Um, and the opening line is in a very Mark Beruzzi style. It's time to call bullshit on progression. Um, and I saw this going around a little bit and I found it really interesting. Um, and it's essentially... Uh, talking about how the progression in sports, the, the speeds in mountain, uh, downhill mountain biking, the, you know, the things that are done on skis just are killing and injuring people catastrophically left and right. And they sense some, he, he cites some interesting data. Um, CDC says from 2007 to 2013, uh, rates of TBI related emergency room visits increased by 46%, no, 47%. Um, 
More recently, Flight for Life Colorado reported a 12% year-to-year rise in rescues. Um, and then mountain bike injuries are, are on the rise as a whole. So with roadie deaths. So it's like just showing that like, yeah, there is some actual data that's potentially um, related to the speeds, the danger, and the progression in these outdoor and adventure sports. And um, so I found it interesting, and I'll say some more stuff on it, but um, you read this You read this one in your take? I think a couple of things. One, on the equipment side of things, bike equipment, mountain bike equipment, and ski equipment has never been more capable. Like, I do think there is absolutely a thing where we can be worse at, say, riding a downhill mountain bike, and the equipment is so good and forgiving that a less competent rider can get away on gnarlier lines and, and you know, kind of getting away with it, right, in a way that I just don't think was true 10 or 20 years ago. And I think this the exact same thing is true on the ski side of things. And, you know, a lot of us benefit from that. Like we can have more fun riding bikes and skis. The stuff just works better, feels better. But I think that like there is no question in my view, the fact that the equipment is so freaking capable nowadays, it it maybe sets people, more people up to go get themselves in trouble. So that's just like one part of it. I think that there's also the thing like, yeah, you're like scrolling through Instagram. You're seeing incredible athletes doing mind-blowing things all the time. It is commonplace now. And so I'm sure that part of that, you know, encourages people to think like, well, I'm going to go try to do this stuff that's maybe a bit over my head or whatever, because I see it all the time. It is literally kind of commonplace now. So um, I think that's a bit of sort of why we're getting there. And then I'll stop at on this. I don't actually know, though, that I think it is like the brands or the bike industry or the ski industry. That's not who is out there like pushing us to go get in over our heads in when it comes to like, I got a new DH bike. I'm going to go ride the gnarliest line at the CBMR bike park like that. I, I, I actually think there's a little bit of a maybe there's a question at least about like who is pushing for this. And, and I'm not sure that I'm willing to lay this at the feet of like either ski manufacturers or bike manufacturers. You know what I mean? In terms of like pushing me, the consumer, to go do dumb stuff that's going to result in a TBI injury. Totally. There's no, I mean, let's just say it right now. If like the whole world was like, we got to be safer, we're taking your shocks off your bike and we're going back to 26s, we'd all be like, no, please no, I'd rather quit mountain biking. To be clear, zero part of me is claiming we need to return to like shittier gear. Totally. And no, and like the, the mount, and it's like the industry generally makes it so that it is more fun, that it is more easily and more accessible. So we cannot, like you said, lay this at the feet of the manufacturers because they're actually doing 
stuff to make these sports more fun. Um, skiing's more fun with fat skis and powder than it is with uh, 205 centimeter skinny skis that are 60 underfoot. So it's just like, yeah, no, like we're all going to have more fun. And then, you know, this is where Mark Peruzzi's articles can get a little bit just like, it's just like, stop it. Like he doesn't want to watch Alex Honnold free soul anymore and then says like someone that, uh, you know, a young kid um, unfortunately died free soling one of the flat irons. And you're like, oh, you can lay that at the feet of Alex Honnold. Um, he doesn't do that, but, you know, your brain can go there. And the thing with it that was just problem is that there's unfortunately people like me, like Alex, and I'm not convinced. I'm not trying to compare myself to Alex, just for the record. I just want to state that out there. But just in athletes in their sphere, we tend to want to progress. We tend to want to be driven by these things and these challenges that we see that we can do. Um, And what that has an effect on society, like, yeah, like, sure, certain people are going to want to go do more gnarly things because they saw it on there. But like, that doesn't mean like you're going to ever get anyone to stop trying to progress in their sport. Like that is something that I've had frequent arguments with other people, um, frequent arguments with myself. Like, dude, this is something deep inside me. Like I look at something like the 50 and instead of being like, that sounds really scary and really gnarly. And it could create a culture of like, uh, people chasing big gnarly lines. I'm like, I got to do that. Like, before I die, I got to try to ski all 50 lines. It's just something inside me. The same goes for Alex, same goes for everyone else. So to, to like, even lay it at the feet of, of athletes is going against all of human nature, in my opinion. Um, so, so, like, I think it's not fair to lay the blame on anyone. Um, but it is interesting because there is one topic that I thought about a lot as an athlete. And I tried to, I had this thought a long time ago that there's like multiple generations of action sports. And as it stands right now, I think skiing is in its third generation. Um, free skiing, let's put it that way. So when you go to free skiing and almost all other action sports, there is a first generation that we could call like the godfather generation it's the the original people the people that all of a sudden just show up out of the blue and are just blowing everyone's minds as to this entirely new form of sport or entirely new sport as it is so um you know scott schmidt glenn plake mike hattrip all those guys and uh kristen ulmer you see them in the videos and they're doing skiing like no one's ever been done before and it just like changes the sport forever that's the godfather generation and then in, and then the next generation to me is the progression generation. And every sport has followed this path. They take what the Godfather generation has built and then all of a sudden take it to new heights. And we saw that in the late nineties, early two thousands, mid two thousands, even a little bit late two thousands of just the sport literally changing every day. Like you would see a new trick on the glacier up on Whistler, Mount Hood every day. Um, Backcountry lines, big mountain skiing was changing year to year. The movies that were coming out every year, it was just based on one-upping what happened last year. Um, and when I was starting towards the end of my like free ride career, and after I skied the crack, I'm you know I've talked about this publicly a lot. I was like I didn't know what to do next. Um, that seemed like the end of the road of my progression. And what I was witnessing around me too was like, and I've seen it in the last few years, the progression has really really tapered off. Like year to year, you might see a few new things, but the things are starting to look pretty similar to the past. You watch a Sam Cooch who's 
unbelievably skier, just like ridiculous. But is like what he's doing year to year isn't changing too much. Uh, what he's done compared to people five years ago isn't super different compared to what we saw in the 90s and 2000s. So the progression is starting to taper off. It'll never go away, that's for sure. But we're moving into this next generation, and I've always wondered what this next generation of sport is going to be, because personally, what I witnessed with the progression generation was the end of the, those people's careers with either death or injury. And I remember having real existential thoughts with myself of being like, how do we keep moving on when all my heroes have died being a part of this? what do I do next? Like I genuinely felt like I'm next. If I keep doing this, like JT Holmes and I used to always joke around of being like, who's next? It's either you or me, buddy. Like that's either you or I are going to die next because there were so many deaths in, in the Palisades, Tahoe, the Tahoe community at that time. So um, I've tried to say like we're in a the storyteller generation, um, storytelling is definitely coming up. Um, it could be an activism gen generation. It could be something different. But I don't know if we totally defined it because I think progression is on its whole slowing down a little bit. I don't think it's ever going to go away. I remember those articles back in the day in Powder that said like, it, you know, when will progression stop? And it will never stop. But it can definitely taper off, and I think that's what we're seeing now. So this article, like, it brought those kind of thoughts up in my head that I've had almost 10 years ago now of, like, what is this next generation of sport look like? Um, because I, I do think progression is slowing down. So it's not going to stop, like Mark, Mark Baruzzi says, but slowing down. So maybe, maybe the helpful or not the most helpful per se, but one of the helpful things to think about here is where I think this article works best is at the individual level, right? For each of us to think through, like, why am I still going outside? What, what are my goals? What are my interests? You know, and I mean, I'm, it's easy for me, like longevity, is a real, like, I want to be going out and riding my bike and trail running and skiing for a really long time, right? So it's nice. I am not a sponsored athlete who needs to go get the sick shot in a movie segment. So there is no single line. There's no single move on a bike that is worth it to me. If it's like this could result in very serious injury, I will always choose. Look, accidents happen. Yeah. But I will always choose to like, uh, I'd rather just be in this, you know, ski another day, ride another day, be in this for the long haul. I'm super clear on that. Some up and comer who is a incredibly talented climber might think differently, right? And they want to see what he or she is capable of, you know, free soloing or something. And we, this is a constant, constant reevaluation of kind of our values and priorities, right? That will never end, right? And I think like, so at a minimum, we all need to be thinking about why are we doing this? What are our priorities? And if you're kind of operating in a like, space where there's very little self-examination going on and you're like, well, I don't know. I was scrolling Instagram for 30 minutes and I saw a bunch of hucking. So I guess that's what I'm going to go do. Then, then you got 
there's a real problem there and there needs to be a more of a reckoning, right? With like what you're doing, what are your ability levels at? What are your goals and priorities and the like? Does that kind of make sense? Oh, 100%. And I think you're you're nailing it on the head is like, this is my thing with sport is like, do it 100% for yourself. Don't do it for any external uh, credit, you know, like, that's what I fear um, with younger kids is like that old thing we used to call Kodak courage. And you're like, no, like what you're going to do for yourself is the most important thing. We're all going to probably be influenced at one point in our life, generally really young. But like, that's kind of one of the things I hope with like the 50 is like, no, like I'm older now. I care about like coming home at the end of the day. I care about skiing until I'm 70 years old. So like, I'm going to put that out there um, because my story has changed and I want to tell that story of like, yeah, to me, like safety is really important um, because that is my priority. And uh, I wasn't talking about safety in the project because I thought it'd be like, good for the ski community it was more because i'm like yeah because i'm scared and i want to come home so we're talking about it so yeah no it's a it's a good thing to reiterate like just you know evaluate why you do it um i i mean you you bring up like kind of mountain biking and i think about so often i was like i remember when i got my first mountain bike and it wasn't that long ago like 10 years ago like i didn't really have a mountain bike growing up and I got some like kind of downhill bike and I was like, yeah, I'm going to hit jumps. And I was like hitting jumps the first few days on it. I was hitting doubles. I'm like, this is fun. And I took my first slam and I was like, you know, like quivering on the ground <laughs> yeah. doing that like, uh, uh, like that noise when you're just like, oh my God, that hurts so bad. And then I spent the next few years trying to go faster, trying to jump airs. And then eventually I took so many diggers. I like, I talk about like now I'm like, I go so slow when I mountain bike now, man. Like I'm like, no, this is just good exercise. And I get a cool, casual run back down. I don't have to like uh, run back down. You know, I just get a nice roll back. And it's, it's just so funny to like kind of think about how much your priorities change and being uh, cognizant of those, of those priorities. Yep. And, and and by the way, I'm sorry. Last thing though, like World Cup downhill mountain bikers, World Cup downhill skiers, guess what? They're not backing off. They're not going to listen to this and be like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm just going to keep it casual now. Yeah, totally. That was my point. That, that was my point. It's like, no, you're going to do what you do. You're an athlete. You're kind of like, I don't know. It's some hum- human innate thing to want to do this. But that's not, so that's where this article, I think gets a little weird because it's like, who are you talking to? Are you talking to cutting edge athletes at the highest level? I think many of them, and you know, whether that's in competition or filming, they're going to kind of do what they do. But for like the 99.9% of like the rest of us, I, and I think that's who the article is for, like the majority recreational skiers and mountain bikers. I don't, I don't know. Is the point just don't get sucked in and like, don't, don't go over your head gnar. And I'm like, yeah, don't go over your head gnar. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Okay. 100%. So now it's a typical Peruzzi article. It's like goes heavy on one thing and almost offers a blanket solution. And, but to me, it just makes you think about stuff. And so I think, you know, it's a, it's a topic I've thought about a lot. So I thought it was worthwhile discussing. Yeah. Let's agree to think about stuff. Good. It's a good common thing we end up saying in reviewing the news. And we'll probably keep saying, because the world could use more of this, I think. So yes, I agree. All right. Where are we going next? 
Um, I think we're going where Luke wanted to go, right? And you wanted it to go. So, yeah. like, why don't you just kick this one off? So, yeah, Luke Kappa brought this one to our attention first. So, this is a story about Matthew Fairbrother, who is a 17-year-old kid from New Zealand who <laughs> basically took his bicycle to Europe and who is now currently biking from all the different stops of the European rounds of the 2022 Enduro World Series. We'll have a link to this article slash interview with Matthew, but this is pretty wild. This is about as close to like literally being 17-year-old Kiwi just heads off to Europe with a bicycle and kind of really not anything else and is now biking from comp to comp. And I don't know, but I found this to be one of the most refreshing and insane and wonderful stories that I've kind of read in a while. Totally. You know what it brings up to me is like, you know, I don't know, we probably all heard stories, but I heard stories from my parents and it's just that like, go to Europe and ride around in train stations and get out in cheap hostels and just go like travel the countryside in Europe without a, without a plan and a whim. And like these days you make plans. It's so easy to go on like any sort of travel site and book your, where you're staying months in advance. And you have to, because otherwise there's going to be no room getting a rental car, all these things that just, you can plan out everything you go uh, when you're going to somewhere like Europe. And it brings up this, like, to me, this like romanticism of like getting off a plane having what you have on your back and just traveling through Europe. And obviously he has a goal. He's going to all these Enduro series, but I love it. The fact that he's like so broke and 17. And so just from that, like not naive, but just that like kind of open hearted spirit to just like, I'll just ride my bike from, you know, France to Slovakia yeah. or Slovenia, <laughs> Slovenia, I think, yeah. to Slovenia to go to this race. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, and then, by the way, putting up pretty impressive results at the races, having just... Totally. And, like, one of the things that impressed me the most was two, two things. One, he's changing his tires every time from novice to slicks. Yeah. He's riding his actual enduro bike and just has a fully fully kitted out for uh, bike packing. Um, the other thing is talking about how he's pretty much living off of gas station food, mainly candy, <laughs> because he's 17. And and by the way, more specifically, Cody, Coca-Cola, chocolate, and gummy bears. <laughs> totally. Just like, oh my God, to be 17 again and eat anything. Um, but the most, there was really one offensive part to the article I found. It was just like absolutely chapped my ass, no pun intended, <laughs> actually completely pun intended. He's doing it without a, sham a chamois. I'm like, That's wild. oh my God, yeah. how are you doing this? Like, I remember when we did our thousand mile bike tour, I was like, that was almost the worst part of it is just the soreness that you get down there. The amount of butt cream you have to put on yourself, it is just offensive. So, I found that offensive just mainly because I'm like, man, you got the strongest taint alive. If you're doing this, riding hundreds, if not thousands of kilometers with no chamois. Yeah, and and again, this is this is Matthew's first time outside of 
New, New Zealand. First time outside of New Zealand. So it's not like he's like, oh yeah, I've gone to Chile and Argentina and Argentina a bunch and uh, just a lot of experience. Like, no, like this is his first go. This is uh, super impressive. There, There's actually another quote in this interview that was on Pink Bike. There's a question put to him. So like, what's the goal? right? What's the goal for this season? And I thought, man, talk about a kid who just sounds wise beyond his years. His answer was to invest my money into learning, to invest my money into learning. In this instance, it isn't necessarily about getting quick in between the tape. It's about learning life skills, traveling with the bike and seeing places and also seeing where the adventure takes me, that's what it's about. And I'm like, Matthew, congratulations. You are now officially in my like pantheon of spirit animals. He's in your hall of like, you know, it's like that, like those people that we all just kind of attach ourselves to. Now, I read this article and I was rooting for the kid. And it's just like, I'm glad we're kind of ending our news section kind of on this because it just feels good. It's cool to follow. I'm stoked that this kid exists. He's keeping a dream alive. I, it's just everything about it is like, it makes you want to just, yeah, go fly to Europe with your bike and just go see what happens, which is the true spirit of adventure. So Matthew, props to you. Congratulations already. And uh, we will be following along and, and certainly rooting for you. So um, good luck out there, man. So I wanted to start, I think, every month bringing up a little topic. And I think we might need your producers to, like Taylor, to maybe find a drop for this. Like uh. we need like a little music or something. <laughs> but um, it's inspired by a show I used to listen to when I was a kid. And they do these like the – the it was Florida versus Germany. And they would just say a headline from a, from a news thing and you had to figure it out. And it was really funny. And just obviously if it's coming from Florida or, Ger uh, or Germany, it's pretty like – wild headlines but to me i wanted something more wholesome so we're going with the most canadian story today so the most canadian of canadian stories and this first one which we'll put the link in there was just the most canadian story i've ever heard and the, it goes as a single beaver caused mass internet cell service outages in northern bc <laughs> Just like, does it get more Canadian than that? Like, I mean, as a person that's spent a lot of time in Canada, you know, their infrastructure is a little lacking, not kind of like on this side. Uh, they don't have that many people that live up in Canada, less people than they do in California. So when you get into places like northern BC, you might only have one phone line. And the fact that a beaver, a Canadian beaver, chewed through that phone line, that, that digital sourced information and put an entire town out of power and communication is just, uh, just so great. So there's your most Canadian story of the day. And we will be looking for uh, fitting music to accompany this segment going forward. So yeah, uh, I don't even know what to say in response to this. So um, good job, Canada. I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, now we got to go to the, the, the next segment that we yeah. talked about that we added mm -hmm. in here. Um, why don't you kick that segment off? Cause this was kind of your idea. So we are running for the first time, our new mountain town advice segment. And this question was submitted by Kevin Fons. And he wrote, here's a question for the mountain town advice segment of reviewing the news. 
how long do you need to live in a mountain town before you can join in on the complaining about all the out-of-state people or rich people moving in and driving the housing costs up slash ruining the town? Good question. It's a great question. One that I've thought about a lot. And I think there's been a lot of debate um, in the past about uh, among friends and and locals. So um, what defines a local? So I grew up in Santa Cruz. Um Grew up surfing here, here right now. It's one of the most localized surf areas in, in the world, um, renowned for it. Witnessing a lot of fights, um, witnessing like what defines you as a local since the day I was born. The what defined a local here was so asinine in my opinion. I remember seeing two guys getting into it and telling one guy he's a kook because he didn't go to grade school here in Santa Cruz. He moved here when he was like 10 or so he was going into middle school, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, are we really going that far and seeing whose grandparents lived here and that's what defines you as a local? That does not... What that is not what defines you as a local. To me, what defines you as a local and when you can start complaining about it is when you get involved with that community. So what you give back to the community makes you a local. Like even in Tahoe, I see a lot of people that have grown up there and app like destroy the place, act like absolute assholes, treat tourists horribly. And you're like, dude, what are you doing for the town itself? Like you're not entitled to this town just because you were lucky enough to be born here. But if you are a part of the community, you sit on boards, you go to town meetings, I don't know, you're involved in a charity, you do any little thing that gives back and fosters a sense of community. That's what makes you a local in my opinion. Um, so until then, like, don't complain about new people coming in. But once you do that, yeah, sure, you can complain about it. I don't think complaining about it really helps. I think it's the nature of of mountain towns. Um, I think, like, what we try to do on this, uh, this podcast is try and figure out solutions, try and figure out thoughts, try and figure out ways that, like, you know, that bunch of people moving into town isn't ruining the community, but it's going to happen. So how do we create solutions that preserves that community because of what is happening? So, so to me, like, that's kind of the way I take this question. What was your, what was your take? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, and I think I've kind of said this before, I would love to like get rid of this usage of the term local as being sort of this point of pride because ultimately the which the question sort of leads us to it isn't like so what if you were born there like like to your point if you're not really contributing to the community then like who cares and that gives you some sort of weird bragging right because your parents had you in a specific place so mostly i think we would do better and and i mean i've i've said this for sure the whole like i'm native like I'm a Colorado native or something. Let's just oh my stop. God. The worst bumper it's, sticker of all time. It's the worst bumper sticker of all time. Like get over that right now. So I think kind of deprioritizing, reducing the kind of meaning that like the term I'm calling myself a native or calling myself a local. Let's just, I think we're better off in all of our communities if we move away from that. And then to your point, just ask, am I someone who is trying to bring value to a given community? And how am I doing that? Right? So I don't have the term for that, I guess. 
But I think just moving away from the, well, I'm native or I'm local and you're not, this is, this brings us nowhere good. And by the way, like, unless you are a native American, like you're not local or native to any of this. So what are we even doing here? Totally. I know that's a, that's a subject that I see my friends bring up quite a lot. Um, and they have a big issue with that Colorado native sticker because you're like, no, Arapaho, Ute, people that have been here for 10 to 30,000 years, they can, can be considered themselves native, the first peoples here. Um, but there is actually one other bumper sticker that I find even more annoying to myself personally. Um, you know, buddies like Len and Connor find native more because they're Native Americans. So totally understand. But for me, there's a bumper sticker I see a lot in Tahoe and it says, um, my life is better than your vacation. And it's frequently put on locals cars. And I'm just like, oh my God, guys, really? You really think your life is better than theirs and you're putting it out there? It feels so insecure and feels so lame. So yeah, um, I personally think that the just that local versus tourist thing, like, yeah, there's stuff where we need to educate tourists. There's stuff where the tourists do not treat mountain towns and places they go correctly. They don't have respect for it. Educating them to, to, to respect a place is better, but like, don't scream and yell at them and then walk away. Like be a part of a July 5th cleanup. Um, you know, Arcade, we would partner with uh, the Keep Tahoe Blue Fund on uh, July 5th to go around the, the, the beaches in Lake Tahoe and clean up of all the tourists that partied their ass off on the beach on the 4th. Come to that, you're probably a local and you're community, contributing to the community. So, yeah, that's, the, that's my end on, on the old local versus tourist debate. All right. Well, good question. Let's see what kind of submissions we get for next month for our mountain town advice we still haven't created like we haven't created an email address yet so probably just send us a dm at blister or you can send us there's a contact us you can send an email that way but yeah hit us up and we'll see what we can do here it probably won't have the same level of popularity as the most canadian news story but you know we'll see we'll see how these things evolve totally all right Let's talk about what we're reading and watching. I've got I've got a couple things here. I'm hoping I'm hoping you've got some Well, actually I hope I'm really hoping you've watched one of the things I've watched cuz I texted you about this and you never got back to me. But um on that note, well I guess I'll just start. Did you watch the season finale of Barry? Oh, yes. Yeah, we didn't I didn't text you back on this. God, I no. Effing love Barry, man. That is the best show on TV. It is up in the, it's in the top 10 list for me right now. Like top 10 all time? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I just think like to me, like I've never seen such a better execution of dark comedy, of absolute like terror and horror and feel like just sick to your stomach watching something and then like three minutes later you're like laughing at the absurdity of it um there i'm not gonna spoil it but there is a motorcycle chase scene that is the best chase scene in the history of tv i thought that was just laugh out loud funny and it is i love that show and i watched the finale and i listened to the prestige tv podcast with bill Hader um every time after i watch an episode um i've been a pretty secret 
um, Bill Hader fan since he was on SNL. I loved like all his little characters that he's done have always been good. So, uh, and Bill Hader is like, geez, like unbelievable actor, director, creative, just, just nailed it. And that, that last episode was as dark as he said it was going to be. He was like, you're not going to laugh at all. Um, one of the quotes he said in the prestige podcast was that he said the editor or the color corrector, I forget what it is, usually gets an episode done in one day. And he said he needed two days to finish it because he had to take breaks so often from watching it. So just an unbelievably powerful show. It's funny. I remember when we, several months back, whatever, when season three was kind of back online. I told you like in this segment, like I was having a little bit trouble kind of getting back into the series because it had been away for so long. And so I wondered if I was like, oh, am I, you know, first episode or two, I wasn't like all in. The last several episodes, man, culminating in the finale, I, I, that finale episode, I, I would put that up there historically with like, all-time kind of season finale episodes was remarkable. It's been something else. And so go watch it, I guess, people. But it's some really well-done TV and writing and character development and the, and the rest. Totally. Unbelievable writing. And it, like when you actually – like it's one of those things to listen to accompanying podcasts with because – Bill Hader is like kind of a film geek. Um, He watches so much and he's so well read that there's all these little homages to other movies and all these other references. And it's just like, he's just, he's kind of a genius and it it goes really deep. And yeah, the, the, the kind of a theme of this whole thing, which I think he really sums up in the terms of like, it has to do with a lot with like love and violence and like what, how an ordinary person can become violent and and the difference between true love and like thing it's just like the the deeper topics that aren't real that are in a certain way not that present on screen it's more when you're like thinking about it after that you're like oh wow yeah this is what it's really about i think it's just like i think it's a genius series and i think it's so well executed so well written so well acted um and then it's dude it's so funny at times like terribly funny like you're like why am i laughing right now um but you end up laughing so so yeah no it's a it's a good show it would be probably be the one i would have recommended um what I would say, we were going to touch on this, um, and we had talked about this before, but we had kind of wanted to talk a, about what's happened the last week in the Supreme Court. Um, I know we kind of wanted to get into it. Uh, we had a text back and forth, and I kind of felt like, you know what, like, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I have my opinions. I put out one little post about kind of my summation of it, but like, I'm not a legal expert. I read so many articles about some of this stuff. And when it goes deep into the legalese, I get so lost so quickly. So um, what I would suggest, and we'll list this in um, in the comment or in the, the, the captions of the, of the episode to listen to a few different podcasts that I found pretty interesting. Mine were a couple episodes um, by Ezra Klein and Derek Thompson. So the Ezra Klein show, um, uh, which I've really started to like recently, and then the Derek Thompson show, Plain English, um, just really good summation of things with really, really good, smart people on it. Um, there's a few that are in there um, that we'll put in there that um, I think have been great summations to a lot of these topics because, you know, personally, my personal opinion to all this stuff is what's happened. 
the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the um, EPA decision, the um, the land rights decision. What's probably going to happen with the IWCA? It's all it's horrible. Like my personal opinion, like this is awful. What is going on right now? Um, I don't know what the solutions are. I don't know what we're going to have to do to fight back against us all. Um, but I just know that like we should all get very heavily educated about this and listen to people that are educated about this to see how we can potentially create a better society and, you know, get away from some of these decisions because I feel like we're definitely 51% of the country lost their rights to bodily autonomy. And that's pretty awful. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I, I don't know. It was a it was a tough week, and I it's a, you can hear I'm like tripped up for words because it's just so deep and so many issues all at once with all these decisions from the Supreme Court. I'm glad you're bringing this up, and you know we should have arguably foregrounded this, but this is a little bit of how I tend to operate when you're talking about monumental rulings like this. I tend to be like, I want to kind of do a little bit of what we've been talking about in this episode. Like, I want to get at the root of like, how did this happen? How did we get here? And, you know, sometimes you see for very understandable reasons, an announcement comes through immediately. There's all these responses on social media. And I totally understand that. Personally, I tend to want to like, the, the more important, frankly, the bigger the issue, I want to like slow down for a second if it's a topic that I don't know enough about the history of like, how did we freaking get here? And so I like your idea. We actually have talked about this. I've got some links to things that I've been listening to as well. And so we will just put these in the show notes to this episode and would invite and encourage people to just like, let's get better educated. Because frankly, my take on this is I think there's a whole lot of blame to go around. I do not think it is right to just be railing against six individuals on a Supreme Court. It's like, how did we get to this point where six individuals could start overturning and making these kinds of proclamations, reversing, right? Like, to me, that's more fundamental. And if we are going to actually solve some of this, we got to get to the roots. And that's what... That's what like Ezra Klein has a podcast that just came out that's talking about like now this shift that's been happening for uh, 30 years. Um, some of the stuff that they're talking about um, in the other ruling in the other episodes are talking about how like disconnected from the law some of the rulings are. And those are the details that like you and I don't know. And, you know, we try and form the, this podcast very outdoor news. That's what we the industry we work in, the, the communities we live in. That's what we kind of know. We're experts in that. So I just, yeah, after this week, like I too was pretty quiet to start just because you're like, wow, this is terrible. I mean, my family and I, we talked about uh, the Dobbs ruling for a full day at home and we just talked about it. And you don't have to put something out on social media right away to say that you're, you know, a on one side of the fence, you know, like you, you can sit down, sit with it, think, what do we got to do next? Educate yourself think about like you're saying how did we get here how do we fix this and 
what are the underlying issues that have gotten us to this place? Because yeah, it's, it was definitely a like I was saying, it was a heavy week, and I I I barely know how to sort through it. But I do know you're like, well, we got to do something, and that was my only takeaway. Is like, even if it's the smallest action possible, we're gonna have to do something as individuals. Yep. And I think my punchline is to just get back to, again, something we've talked about in numerous episodes, but like everybody listening to this, we all are going to have to now get more involved if we aren't already sort of as involved as we possibly can be at the local political level, at the state political level, and at the national political level, right? Like that... That to me, and like the amount of outrage, and I think by now many of us have sort of seen the statistics about where there is actually deep consensus among Americans, and we are not seeing that reflected in certain rulings and reversals that are being handed down. Well, that means that like we've got more work to do as a as a functioning democracy, which I'm not totally sure right now we can call ourselves a functioning democracy, but I do think that that is in that sense that probably many of us feel of like helplessness and hopelessness. I think plugging in and starting to actually make sure that we are having where there is, in fact, actual consensus, getting majority rulings established at local and state and national levels, clearly this is important. In the case of Roe, a ruling was able to be overturned because it was a ruling that hasn't been on firm ground for 50 years. Sorry, I don't mean that to sound prescriptive as much as like, this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around. But it is incredibly frustrating to me, especially when there's so much dissension. Let's just keep it to this country, when there's so much dissension and disagreement, when there are actually issues where there is broad support, and then we still aren't seeing the will of the majority in those cases, what do we do? And I think we got to go back to the roots and put a lot of these, especially consensus issues on firmer, more solid legislative ground. Yeah. And that's one thing we go into the consensus. A majority of these issues have uh, majority uh, popular opinions in the country. So obviously we've somehow lost some power as a democracy. We've let um, minority issues um, in terms of amount of popular support um, dictate new laws in our country. And that's not the way a functioning democracy is supposed to work. So um, yeah, we, we've tripped up somewhere. Um, I have my theories but I'm not a legal expert. Um, so I just uh, suggest everyone out there, yeah, don't necessarily react angrily um, right off the bat. Get educated, get involved um, in any sort of way you can. Um, I know uh, everyone takes out their frustrations in certain ways and they're all welcome, but I think the biggest thing is what can you do moving forward? Um, I've got some ideas that hopefully I'm trying to enact in myself in the next uh, six months to a year, but that's uh, think about what you can do for yourself too. So uh, I'm not going to tell you what those are um, to, for you to do, but for me, I might have uh, some small things I want to do. And by the way, I'll just say there's some things that we're kind of working on behind the scenes at Blister to 
in fact, do what we're talking about. Get more educated, get more involved. And um, yeah, we are very, we're waiting to see it on some things, but there are some things we are hoping to put in place soon. So let's just all as individuals be working toward, I like that, get educated, get involved. In that sense, it's pretty, pretty clear what we can be doing on the individual level. So I got one more thing to bring up. We need to, I know I need to let you get going, but uh, I was just traveling quite a bit, right? And this is a new time when I actually like watch movies. I used to like work on long airplanes and I've kind of given up on that a bit. It, I don't think I work very effectively on planes. So I actually did watch several things, but one of the things I wanted to give a shout out to I watched again The Big Short. Such a great movie. Dude, and then I was thinking about the fact that like two of my, especially I these don't come up when I think, when we talk about like what's your favorite movie of all time. But again, if we put it on the scale of like, what is the movie that you will just rewatch apparently a million times and always be in on it again? Moneyball and The Big Short are two of those movies for me. So Michael Lewis. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I get I think written and directed by Adam McKay, so apparently like thanks Michael Lewis and Adam McKay, I'm in on your film/books. But The Big Short is remarkable. I think given the time we are currently in, it is really interesting to think through Maybe where there are some similarities to what we're kind of experiencing um, culturally and economically right now, going back to that film, um, there's so many incredible performances in that film. But one of the things we got to give a shout out because it's been a long time since we've been able to talk about secession, you get to see Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong and and uh, God Michael from the Office, Steve Carell, and those uh, uh, that they're in the reporter room. I know I I recently rewatched the the Big Short, and I was like, oh, that's awesome, Jeremy Strong in here. <laughs> it, it was so I was so happy to have Jeremy Strong back in my life for a little bit and in like a different character. So I'll just I'll say my airplane watch. So I've I've resigned to you your side when it comes to travel. I used to just try and work and whatnot. Now I just like nope, I'm gonna zone out. Mine is. Definitely uh, The Dark Knight. <laughs> like with the Batman movies on and there's no good new movies on, I'm just like, well, I'll watch this for the 10th time. <laughs> I don't like I have seen that movie so many times on airplanes and I'll still I'm like, I'm getting kind of tired and maybe I should fall asleep. So boop, Dark Knight's on and uh, oh, such a great movie. Well, there you have it. What a what a weird all over the place episode of reviewing the news i mean i i guess we do tend to go wide ranging this one was yeah even for us feels uh wide ranging and that range of talking about the most important things imaginable to some of the stupidest and uh i guess that's what we do it's it's not as good as white noise but it's but it's something totally I think we'll end with just um, my whole thing after all this. It's just like, hey, everyone, be nice. Be nice to people. Like, go out there. Be nice. Have a good day. Be nice. Try to get educated on a number of things. Think before you type or fire 
responses off to people. Plug into your communities and be nice. Be nice. And be nice. All right, man. You go have yourself a nice rest of your day there, Jonathan. Thank you, man. And you too. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, as always, uh, be talking real soon. Sounds good. See you, dude. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Cody for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And yeah, do in fact send in whether it's some stories that you'd like to hear us discuss for next month's Reviewing the News, or if you do have Mountain Town advice, you can go to our Blister Review website, find the Contact Us section, and send in an email or you can send us a DM on Instagram. Either of those things work. And that's what we've got for you today. So hope you all have a great week. I do really hope that a number of us think about how we can do better in terms of how we try to communicate with each other. And we will be talking to you again on Tuesday on our Off the Couch podcast, this Thursday on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, and then this Friday on our Gear 30 podcast. So more conversations to come. Check those podcasts out, subscribe, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye, everybody.